We have a, we have a lesson from the Lord uh, today. And as I've been praying in the months leading up to the season of Advent, we finished Mission 119 about a month ago. And in November, I just began praying with the elders, you know, what are the messages God has for the church? And that's what you've been hearing the last month is the week-by-week the, the week, uh, messages that, that God's put on my heart for new life. And uh, I'm just so pleased this year to actually do a dedicated Advent series, Hope, Love, Joy, and Peace, and then Christ on Christmas Eve. I love the symbolism. I love the candles. I love anticipating Jesus' coming. I love, I love Holy Week. I love these types of, of times when we use our, our, our imagination, our holy imagination, to, to uh, anticipate in our own hearts the coming of Jesus and what that would have meant for the people that, that were waiting for him and what that means for us today. Um, so I'm very, very excited to be able to preach on this. And as I prayed on this, the theme that kept coming to mind was um, Emmanuel, God with us. And that it says in the scripture, we'll read it in just a moment, but this, this idea that Jesus is called Emmanuel, God with us. No longer is God going to make his dwelling in a temple made of stone, not that he was ever contained by that in the Old Testament, but that's where they met with him. No longer is he going to leave his Holy Spirit to one or two dedicated individuals such as Moses or, or uh, Ezekiel or Isaiah or Jeremiah. But now, through Christ, God is with us. And this is a profound thing. No longer are we to talk about our relationship with Jesus as, or, or Jesus Christ as, you know, Jesus did this. You know, Jesus used to do this when he was on the earth. But we can very theologically correctly say, Jesus does this. Jesus is with us today. I read, a, I read an article that, that, um, that moved me in some way this week in the news. You may have seen it. And they're, they're, someone uh, thinks they have a piece of the true manger. Not the piece of the true cross, but the manger of, that Jesus was in. The likelihood doesn't seem feel high to me, but I'm not an uh, archaeologist. But anyway, this piece of the manger, it's a big deal, is being transported back to the Holy Land. And it's a relic. You know, for many, many parts of the church, these things are very important. Uh, and, and the woman who was kind of in charge of making the arrangements, beautiful sentiment. She said, um, you know, when, when, I, when I'm in the presence of this relic, I can feel the presence of, of Christ with me in a way. You know, for her, it was something that you know, assisted her in thinking about her relationship with God. And I don't know her or her relationship with God, I couldn't say. But when I read that, I thought to myself, what an amazing thing that we have the Holy Spirit as Christians. That whole Psalm 46 that, 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 I, that I shared earlier, be still and know that I am God. You can still your heart and, be, and know that Jesus is with you if you're a believer. Because every, every person that has put their faith in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins receives the down payment of the Holy Spirit, which is Jesus' spirit, the spirit of Christ within them. Not then, but now. And what Jesus did, Jesus does. So a lot of the value of looking at the stories of the Gospels is we can see what Jesus did, Jesus is still doing, and Jesus does. And so this Advent season, we'll be looking at hope, love, joy, and peace as present realities because Christ is with us. And amazingly, as much as it is an amazing thing to have the Holy Spirit within us as individuals and we can know that he is God and hear his voice and commune with him, um, he is with the church. When, when two or more are gathered in Jesus' name to pray or seek his face, he's there with them. 
This is a promise from Scripture, solid theology agreed upon by everybody who's a Christian for the most part. Um, so, so that explains a lot about why my best times of prayer in the last couple of years have been with a group of people. Why my best times of worship have been in the congregation. Because in a very special way, the church, which is called the body of Christ, when the body of Christ comes together, the Holy Spirit is present in a special way. I love it. I love worship. I love, I love all that stuff on my own. But really, together it's so much sweeter. Isaiah 9, 1-7. Pro- a prophecy about Jesus Christ. I want to read this in full. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. And in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice in the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the days of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. this. This prophecy written well before the birth of Jesus and a direct prophecy about Jesus Christ. Advent, as we said, is, is the arrival of a notable person. In our case, Jesus Christ, who was prophesied about in the Bible. Uh, an, uh, a scholar that I enjoy reading, who is the, the, now the president emeritus of Gordon-Conwell Seminary, Walter Kaiser, was able to find 65 direct predictions of Jesus' coming in the Old Testament. And so this is a real scholar who knows all the languages and culture. And he, he's, he's identified 65 and six direct prophecies about Jesus found in just the first five books of the Bible. And this is all available online. You can look it up. It's amazing the amount of predictions there are about Jesus Christ coming. Jesus was anticipated. And Matthew 1, 18 to 25, tells us how it came about. I'm going to read from verse 18 in Matthew 1. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. You are to give him the name Jesus, which means the Lord saves, because he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. They will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's the Isaiah 7 prophecy. Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus with us. 
the Lord saves. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. So Christ's birth was prophesied about, and people were waiting for him to come. Not everybody, but, but many people were waiting for him to come. And as we're going to see next week, some of the people that seemed most out of touch and out of sync with society of their day, a man named Simeon and a, and a woman named Anna, who spent their days in the temple praying and, and seeking the Lord on behalf of their people. These people that were probably looked at as out of touch by their society, um, they got to see Jesus and hold him in their hands before they died. Because to those people that lovingly seek after God, he shows the secret things. It's a very inspirational story. And they got to hold the baby Jesus. They probably didn't live much longer. They were very elderly. But these wise and prayerful people uh, got to hold this baby when, they, when the parents came to dedicate him in the temple. But today we're going to look, look at down the corridor of history back to the advent of Jesus as we count down the Sundays until his coming leading up to Christmas Eve, which we'll celebrate together. And for our purposes, we are the people who live on this side of the manger and also this side of the cross of Christ, this side of the Holy Spirit coming at Pentecost when God gave his spirit to all people, not just one or two, but to all people who call on the name of Jesus. We're on that side of history. And we look down the corridor of history at the, at the promise of the advent of Jesus and the promise of him to again indwell his people. Emmanuel, God with us. Christ with us. And since Jesus has called our living hope in 1 Peter 1, today we're going to reflect on what exactly this means. What does it mean to have Christ with us in the present tense, in this moment, as our living hope? And to do that, we're going to read through a chapter of the Gospels from Jesus' adult life in Luke 5. Because when we see what it means for Jesus to be the living hope to actual people who had jobs and families and lives like we do, we can see a little bit of what it means for him to be our living hope as the Spirit works within us. So we're going to start with Luke 5, 1 to 11, read a short little story about Jesus calling Simon. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there, left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, and the one, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full they began to sink. 
When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. So if we're going to know what it means for Jesus to be our living hope today, let's look at what it means for Jesus to be the living hope of Simon and the sons of Zebedee, his partners. Well, first of all, Jesus, Simon's living hope, provided him and his partners with an astonishing catch of fish. After they had been fishing for a long time and not catching anything at all. This is something that should not be overlooked. Jesus provided for these people materially, not just spiritually, not just metaphorically or allegorically. He provided what these men needed um, just, just by nature of his presence with them. It's, it's uh, something that's often abused where people talk about, um, you know, the provision of God in ways that, that make God into some sort of divine slot machine. You know, you, put, you say the right words in prayer and God's going to give you what you want. You know, this kind of thing. But there is a certainly a truth that part of what it means for Jesus to be our living hope is that we hope in him as our provider. I say every time we take the offering, every time we have an annual meeting, every time I look at my bank account, I say, Jesus, you, you weren't just their provider, you're my provider. And my livelihood that I make and in my various uh, things I do in our family and our household, uh, it, it ultimately comes from God. And everything I have belongs to him, and he is my provider. When we look at our church budget, we say the same thing. We call it a faith budget. The budget could be five bucks a year for our church. That would still be a faith budget because it, it kind of re- requires people to hear from God and give every Sunday, week in and week out. That would be a faith budget. Um, but everything we think about in terms of our provision for our families is really a provision that comes from God. And there are times when we really do need a provision from God physically in our lives. We do. Whether it be a car issue or whether it be a bill or whatever it might be, um, we just have some major issue that comes upon us. And I look at these men and I say, maybe we shouldn't just spiritualize all of our lives. Maybe we should present to God and cry out to him with our actual needs and requests, just as we have as a family from time to time, just as we have as a church from time to time. Cry out to God. And to pray with, 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 with our church and with other people about him meeting our needs. Because God is a provider. Jesus <laughs> told them, put out your boats for a catch. And against the better judgment of the actual fishermen, Simon Peter said, because you say so, I'll do it. Apparently, it was a good sermon he had preached right before he told him to do this. And he just thought, this guy seems to know something. Maybe he knows about fishing. And they caught such a catch that the boats were sinking. This is kind of a demonstration of of this idea that's in the Old Testament as well as the New, that everything belongs to God. If God wants to make your boat sink with fish, God can make your boat sink with fish. Um, It's all up to his sovereignty and his will and his plan, but God provides One way or another, God provides. 
I always talk about him because I want you to read his autobiography. But George Mueller was a man that decided to put God to the test and said, you know what, I'm going to open an orphanage and I'm going to trust God to provide everything for the orphanage. And the goal was not to primarily serve orphans, even though that was his goal, you understand. His goal was to prove God, to say, you know what, God does provide. And if you read the autobiography of George Mueller, you will see a man that waited on the Lord, waited on the Lord, that believed in God, trusted in him, and saw God provide in amazing ways. Because God cares. It says in... uh, Another part of the scripture is talking about anxiety. Don't worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, what you will wear. Um, Look how God clothes the flowers of the field, which are here today and tomorrow thrown into the fire, right? They're they're not as significant as people are. Look how God knows when every, every sparrow that falls to the ground, God will also take care of you, you little faith. Trust in him, cry out to him with your actual needs. Don't be shy. Sometimes God wants to provide for those needs through other people. He wants to provide for those needs through people. Um, sometimes he provides them unilaterally, but God provides. Part of being part of a church is we make our needs known to one another, and we all do what we can for each other. A friend of mine, in the name of Jesus, right? A friend of mine who used to go to this church uh, years ago and then moved, he, he shared with me this insight. He said, you know, whenever we hear about a need, we should think about what can we do automatically. What can we do? You know, so we might not have money to provide, but maybe we can provide transportation. Maybe we can provide uh, helping to fix something that's broken. You know, there's something we can do. And if we all did what we could do, a lot of needs would get taken care of. And it would all be in Jesus' name. And then there's God who's doing everything that God does. Um, God is truly a provider for our needs. We've seen that time and time again. So part of, part of Simon's living, living hope was, wow, God actually provided the thing I need. I didn't ask for fish, and then he sent me to be a missionary in Africa. No, just kidding. Common Christian phobia, apparently. Um, but uh, I, I, I had this need, and Jesus met it. Amazing. So part, another part of Simon's provision is that after he saw Jesus' miracle, It says in verse 8, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Because he was astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so was everybody else, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Another thing that was uh, a representation of, of Jesus as Simon's living hope was this conviction of sin, which is in itself a mercy. Because let's face it, a lot of us have sin in our lives, but we're kind of okay with it. We just don't have, we lack conviction. We're we're able to live with it and tolerate it, but it does alienate us from our relationship with God and with other people. It messes us up. And one of the mercies of God is actually showing us who he is and then convicting us of that sin so that we can come into the fullness of what we're supposed to be as human beings, as God created us in community with him and in community with other people. So one of the reasons uh, that Simon had experienced the living hope of Jesus was this conviction of sin. And I have prayed the prayer before, you know, Jesus, make me care about this thing. Because I don't. I'm not sensitive to this. I know it's a sin, but I'm just not convicted. <laughs> I should be. Change my heart, God. And a lot of times it's in worship 
in, 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 in privately spending time with the Lord and you just encounter his goodness and who he is, that you receive this deep conviction. Like, no, I, I want more. There's more. And I'm, I'm holding myself back by this thing. I'm holding, on to, I'm holding on to broken cisterns that cannot hold water. And God wants me to come to him, the fountain of living water. So this is a mercy. Even the conviction of sin is a mercy. And it's in the context of this great miracle. Finally, as Simon's living hope, Jesus provided Simon with the hope of a new future, a new kind of fishing. And uh, Simon was still a fisherman uh, up until this point. But Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So now they pulled up their boats, left everything, and followed Jesus. It's quite, quite a thing to leave everything behind and follow Jesus. But he, the living hope, Jesus Christ, gave Simon and his companions this idea that there's something more for you. There's a new calling for you. A new kind of fishing is in your future. Now, for, for, for most people, uh, for, for many people, what you are currently doing, your job, your career, your livelihood, you know, it might be exactly what God wants you to be doing. But maybe God wants to give you a deeper spiritual calling in the midst of what you're doing. That You have a different mission that's also going on as you're doing your job. I mean, how much of our, what percentage of our life is spent in our workplace? It's a huge percentage of our life. And if we're not, if we don't have any deeper mission than getting through the day and tolerating it until we're done, that's like a huge percentage of our waking hours that are not being intentionally thought about as being part of what God has for us and part of our ministry. Yet God wants it to be a ministry. I know that many of you, because I've talked to you, have jobs where it really is a ministry. It's an amazing thing. You think about it that way. You do your work with excellence as unto the Lord, and you reach people for Jesus Christ at the same time. But this is a reminder that as our living hope, Jesus wants to provide us with a new kind of future, a new kind of fishing uh, to do to do what we do, but also consider what does God want us to do in the midst of it. How does that look? The work itself is good. Any work is good. Any work. When done to the glory of God, it's powerful worship. It's valuable. It shouldn't be divided between this is sacred work, this is secular work. No, it's all sacred work. But are we doing it with intentionality as unto the Lord is the question. So this is, this is Simon's living hope. He provided... Jesus provided in his moment of need a catch of fish. He provided conviction to Simon that drew him near to God and then provided hope for a new kind of future. And for Simon, that meant throwing down his nets and following Jesus. Our next story is in Luke 5.12. It says this. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. That's a name for any kind of skin disease that would cause people to be separated from the community that they were part of. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as the testimony to them. Yet the news about him spread all the more, so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. So, how is Jesus the living hope to this man with leprosy? Well, 
First of all, he provided the man with what he needed most, which was healing. The leper needed to be healed of his skin condition. He didn't need healing just physically. He needed to be healed and restored in other ways as well. Because as I said, this skin condition would exempt, would keep this man away from other people in his community. Le- people that had leprosy were not allowed to go near healthy people. Whenever they were in the vicinity, they had to shout unclean and ring bells to let people know, don't come near me. They were often not touched. Uh, they, they, imagine what that would cause for a person uh, to, to not have human touch, not have human interaction, to be, have your identity be consumed with your disease. Many people know what that's, have seen someone go through something like that. So this man not only provide, got physical healing, he got social healing, he got restored to society. He met with the priests and they verified he's clean. He can be a part of society again. He was restored to his family, his family of origin. He was restored to temple worship, which at the time was how people approached God and had their sins forgiven by the sacrifice of the priests, where his sins were atoned for. God provided this life healing for this leper through, phys- through healing his physical affliction. This man was restored in every area of his life. So Jesus was this man's, certainly his living hope. He knew the man's deepest need for healing and restoration, and he met it. This is something Jesus doesn't just, hasn't just done in the past. It's something he does today. Still, and just as with provision, we can't control what God does, but we can have in our minds this idea that there's possibility in God. There's a living hope in any circumstance, a hope against hope that God can step in and make a difference, that God can restore us, heal our bodies, restore our families, restore us to our world, restore us to a relationship with God. The third story we're going to look at is the story of a paralytic in, in uh, Luke 5, 17. One day, Jesus was teaching Pharisees and teachers of the law who had come from every village of Galilee and from Judah and Jerusalem were sitting there. And the power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. That's a sentence that I really don't fully understand. The power of the Lord was present to heal the sick. What that sentence does for me is that I always wonder which service and time of worship that we gather for is going to be a time when Jesus decides it's time to heal people. It's time to speak to people a certain kind of word. It's time. This is God's control. This is God's power. And in this moment, the presence and power of the Lord was present for, God, for Jesus to heal the sick. Don't understand it fully, but I look for it. So men came carrying a paralytic on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friends, your sins are forgiven. That's also hard to understand, but that happened. (laughs) That's Jesus declaring that these people's sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, Who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. 
Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home, praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, We have seen remarkable things today. So how is Jesus a living hope to this paralytic? Well, for one thing, he seems to have unilaterally declared the sins of this man and his friends were forgiven, which is quite an amazing thing. This is something that God, only God has the power and authority to do, which the teachers of the law pointed out. If you, if you say you can forgive sins, you're saying you're God. That's blasphemy. That's wrong. And Jesus proved to the skeptical crowd that he had authority to forgive sins by then healing this man who was completely paralyzed. It's, a, it's an amazing kind of an, and really funny joke. Jesus says, which, 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 which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up, take your mat, and go home? In the original language, your sins are forgiven is easier to say. It's a shorter sentence, right? So Jesus is kind of messing with him a little bit. But he was saying, look, I'm the son of man. I'm the son of God. I have all authority in heaven, earth, under the earth. I can forgive sins. I can heal bodies and I can do as I please. That's what he was saying. That's awesome. <laughs> That's really awesome. Talk about a living hope. He physically healed this paralyzed man, thus restoring him. Again, it's not just a physical healing. Restoring him to his life, to his family, to worship, to the temple where he could worship God with his community. Jesus was also doing something else. Jesus was also removing a stigma that was in his society that is also in our society that if someone has something wrong with them, it's their own fault. People in Jesus' day said, who sinned, this person or this, per this person, that this kid was born this way? Jesus refused to engage with that kind of stuff. He said, neither these parents nor the kids sinned. Jesus said, uh, he, th that's not how the world works. And, he, and, and through, through forgiving the sins of this person in a separate act than healing him physically, he was saying, look, I've forgiven his sins. Oh, he's still, he's still uh, paralyzed. It must not have been the sin. And then he healed him so he wasn't paralyzed anymore. So Jesus removed this, a powerful stigma off of, and, he, and this is something Jesus taught over and over again to people who had superstitious ideas about why bad things happen to people, which is a big thing in his day, right? And it can be in ours too in different ways, right? So it's an amazing thing. For the paralytic, Jesus was his living hope. He forgave his sins. He healed his body, restored him to society, and removed his stigma. Amazing. Our final little story comes from the calling of Levi. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector, in verse 27, by the name of Levi, sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others who were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This is perhaps my one of my favorite parts of the Jesus story. Because Jesus, our living hope, who's with us today, provided an amazing uh, gift to Levi and his friends. Jesus, in this passage, calls people 
who society at large deem unworthy of being God followers. And he proves to them that God shows no favoritism or special privilege for those who have had a perfect or even a good track record up until the point of the call. Jesus was having lunch, having a party with people that society said, these people are not clean people. And in doing that, he was saying, as it says in many other places in Scripture, God does not show favoritism. It, it, really, it, really, it sounds like, a, like a, a weird saying that someone would say, but it's actually true that God, um, it doesn't matter where you've been or what you've done with God. When he calls you and you respond, you're good. You can start following him instantly. You can start following him right away. You don't have to make up for your mistakes. That's what the cross of Christ is about. Jesus paid it all. And then, the next part, all to him we owe. Sin had made a crimson stain. He washed us white as snow. I just made that up. No, it's a hymn. But what an amazing living hope for Levi and his friends. First, he finds a guy that's hated and, and not loved this um, tax collector, the sinner Levi. He says, follow me. And Levi got up and followed him to his credit. And then he invited him to a house, a big house party of sinners. It was like going to the Jersey Shore house, you know? It's crazy. Why are you hanging out with those people? No. And Jesus made the point. I have a different mission statement than you people around me. You want to hear Jesus' mission statement? It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. That's Jesus' mission statement. I've come to call not righteous people, people who are righteous in their own eyes, but sinners. The nobodies, the, the rejects in society, I've come to call them. What an amazing, amazing statement that Jesus was making. And to everyone around that saw this party and heard his answer, they knew God's removed some barriers for us. He's taken away these secret qualifications that people seem to have the inside edge on and I haven't heard about. And he said, no, the only thing you have to do is follow me now. I call, you follow. We'll figure out the details later. <laughs> right? I, love the, I love the bumper sticker. Um, you catch him, he cleans him, right? It's like the, the fishing analogy. Like Jesus calls people and they can come right to him. They don't have to, they don't have to clean themselves first. A great uh, speaker I heard once said, you do not need to take a shower before you take a bath, you know? And God offers a bath, you know? It's the, the, the amount of, you see the, the, what Jesus came to do was offer a living hope to people that thought they couldn't get to God, you know? He widened, he widened it. He widened the way. And if you look at Jesus' parables, they're a little scary. They're like, there was, a great, there was a man who threw a banquet. He invited all these people, but they were like, we're too busy for you, we're too busy for you. And then he invited everybody else, and they all came. I don't want to be someone that misses out on the first invitation. If, if I'm one of those people, I don't think I am, but... If I am, us who are sitting in church are perfect candidates for missing out. If the New, if the New Testament gospels are any, 
And he, it's always the teachers of the law and the Pharisees and the Sadducees that are missing it. And that's, I mean, we have to be careful. We don't want to miss out on the invitation just because we have all this privilege of hearing this stuff over and over again, right? Um, Jesus is our living hope for Levi and his friends. Uh, those whose society says are unworthy, can't come to God, have to jump through hoops. No, I call you, you follow me. We worry about your sanctification later. And Jesus' mission statement, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Love that. So looking at these, these stories, the question comes, because of the, the way I'm framing this series, how is Jesus our living hope today? And the answer is, he's our living hope in the same way that he was the living hope of the people we just read about. Because he's a living, active presence that indwells his people currently. So how is Jesus our living hope? Some of us, like Simon, need a literal, not a figurative, catch of fish. This is Jesus, our provision. We need Jesus to provide for us in some way. And Jesus is our living hope. He is our provider, fundamentally. Some of us, like Simon, we need to be convicted of our sin. We just need to agree with God that that this stuff is not good, and we need to come to a place where we see how good God is and we turn from our sin and wholeheartedly follow him. Some of us need to do that. Some of us don't care enough about sin, but the sin causes a distance between us and God and also us and people. But Jesus came to bridge that distance so that we could be restored to right relationship with God and right relationship to other people. Some of us need the hope of a new calling to work for God instead of working for the grind. You know, we all have jobs. Maybe God's calling people to change jobs, but more typically, God's calling you to change bosses. <laughs> um, if, you, if you would do everything you do as unto the Lord, which the Bible says with thanksgiving in your heart, you could have the worst boss ever, and you could glorify God and do an awesome job. And, uh, and uh, when you work for God, you can do it joyfully, no matter how thankless the work might be feel at times because you know that God is working as you work for him in your place of business. He's doing stuff that you can't see. And as you work for him and pray and seek his face, um, you, you can see his hand moving in your place of business. And this is something that was such a cool thing for me. When I went from working first shift to second shift at the warehouse years ago, I said, the first shift, you know, this is a long time ago now, gosh, long time ago. <laughs> so first shift was started at four o'clock and I felt this pressure like I, I need to share Jesus with people. I just felt that internal pressure all the time and, I, and it kept me somehow from being myself which, which kind of ironically keeps you from being normal and then you can't share Jesus with anybody. So I said to God, when I'm, I'm changing to different shift. I said, you know, I just, I just need to, I just really want to do things differently this time. And I really felt like God said, you know, be yourself. Don't worry about being something else and pray for your coworkers. And so I did. So I sat in my car on my, on my little breaks and I prayed for my coworkers. I ate, tried to eat lunch with people that I didn't know and maybe even didn't get along with. And I saw God do awesome things because I changed bosses, you know? You know, I changed bosses. And that's why I put my, my Walmart warehouse plaques on the wall of my office. Those are my diplomas. You know, that's, that's where... I was proven as a follower of Jesus, was in that environment, you know? 
And every, we all have the opportunity to do something cool in our work. And one of my buddies, uh, I ended up being his best man at his wedding. You know, he came to Christ. He, mar- he married a woman who was a Christian, and they have kids. I mean, awesome stuff. You know, if you change your bosses, you can change people's lives. And it's really, it's God's work. There's no pressure to be something you're not. Just be yourself. Follow God. Be normal. Be normal. And Jesus will shine. As long as you're normal, be yourself. That's what God told me. Um, some of you, like the leper or the paralytic, need physical healing. And this is something that most people don't even ask God for. So it's good to ask God about that, I think. Because you get healed 100% more times when you start asking him. The percentages go up, I think. I always say just keep praying for yourself, for other people, and the percentage of healings you will see will go up. Because that's math. I've been praying for years about my right knee. It hasn't been healed yet, but I still seek God for healing. I still do, because I think that we should ask, seek, and knock. And uh, on the other hand, there's that story. But then there's the story of, that's why I stand like this all the time, like on one foot, right? And then there's the story of um, people in this church that have been physically healed completely. And there are people here that were healed completely of something. I'm not going to put anyone on the spot, but praise God, he does heal completely sometimes. That's a hope that we have. And if you've never asked God for it before, we believe Christ is our healer. Christ has healed some of us. Some of us are still seeking him for that healing. And some of, some of us need a social healing. We need our, to be restored to our families, to our community, to, uh, to Christ's church. Maybe we're alienated from the church for some reason. And there's so much good stuff to be had in the fellowship of believers. And God wants to be our living hope and restore us and heal us. Some of us need to receive forgiveness from Jesus Christ this morning. Jesus' name means the Lord saves. That's quite an invitation. To name, to your God, you come to earth, you name yourself the Lord saves. It's like I'm a walking billboard. Who needs saving? Jesus came to seek and save the lost. He didn't come to condemn people. He came to save people. That's really good news. And some of you have not taken Jesus up on this invitation to save you. And his billboard is flashing. I'm called, the Lord saves. And as we saw in our, par- in our story, forgiveness is something only God can do. He provides it through Christ, who died on the cross for our sins. And there is no other name under heaven by which people can be saved. But it's, effect- it's an effective way, though. So there's no complaining. <laughs> you know, it works. Jesus may be calling you to salvation today. Maybe today is the day of salvation for you. Maybe Christmas can come early, you know? Maybe in your own mind and heart, you look at yourself as one of those people that is not fit for, not fit for church or religion or, or God. Or you look at other people and think, that person's not fit for, for church or religion or God. And uh, you need to know that God calls and then cleans and then transforms people. It's not the healthy you need the doctor, it's the sick. And Jesus came for the sick. And uh, we need to also be having that same mindset that Christ had about ourselves, 
not looking at ourselves as being somehow worse than others and unworthy of God's love, which Christians do all the time, and also other people in the world that we encounter. Uh, Jesus is calling people, they're unlikely, and um, we, are, we are one of them, right? And it's because of how great his grace is. So what is the gateway to all of this? To get access to Jesus, our living hope. I wanted to go over just a couple things here as I'm closing. Simon and his friends, Jesus said, put out your net, put out in deep water, let down your nets. And they said, because you say so, I will let down my nets. And there's a catch. Jesus said, don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So they pulled up their boats on the shore, left everything, and followed him. In all of these stories, there is Jesus doing something, and then there's a faith response, where people respond to him in faith and do something drastic. The man with leprosy begged Jesus, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus says, I am willing, be clean. The men carrying the paralytic who could not speak for himself dragged their friend, broke through someone's ceiling, read, destroyed their home, to lower their friend in front of Jesus. That was an act of faith. And it says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said, friends, your sins are forgiven. It's a faith response to what Jesus was doing. The question is, you know, who needs that help? I mean, who can we help bring into the presence of Jesus who can't bring themselves, right? And then, of course, the calling of Levi. Jesus came to to the the tax collector and said, follow me, and Levi got up and followed him. In every one of these stories, the work of God was completed by people responding to him in faith. It's pretty simple. So what does it mean for Jesus to be your living hope? Our, one of our core values as a church is achieving God's purposes means taking faith-filled risks. This always involves change. So as Jesus comes to us, as we encounter Jesus in these stories, what are we holding on to so tightly that we're not responding to him, not wanting him to change? What faith-filled risk might God be asking you to take saying, I trust in you. And perhaps more generally, but more accurately for many of us, is there an area of your life that God is trying to speak into right now? What changes do you think he may be asking you to make in order to draw near?